The Audioverse Awards are supported on Patreon by listeners like you. Help us achieve our physical trophy goals by donating a dollar or ten dollars. Whatever you would like to give helps. Visit us on the web at patreon.com slash audioverseawards. That's patreon.com slash audioverseawards. Thank you. Hi, this is Steve Blizzen, executive producer of the Drift and Ramble podcast. It's a show about the history of the Old West, true stories, and American legends. This is episode 29. It's all about Annie Oakley. Thank you for listening. The following audio drama is rated PG for pretty good. You should experience lots of explosions with no body parts and a couple of swears. Parents should be ready to cover their ears. Welcome to the Drift and Ramble podcast. I'm Steve Blizzen. Each episode, we'll explore true stories and American legends. From the pages of history and a few stories handed down over the years, we'll look at the people, places, and events that helped shape a nation. Stories of survival, notable frontier men and women, explorers who struck it rich, and the outlaws that stole it from them. There'll be studies of saloon girls, swindlers, banditry, and bad men, profiles of lawmen and American Indians, and the good and evil that existed between them. We'll amble through the past. We'll delve into the folklore of the times and maybe even uncover a ghost story or two. So, saddle up, or settle in, for the Drift and Ramble podcast. This is episode 29. Perhaps one of the best-known marksmen to spring forth from the history of the Old West wasn't a man at all. And this diminutive little sure shot wasn't even from the West. Even her name wasn't entirely accurate. And despite those few misses, there's no question this amazing sharpshooter was a woman of amazing skill and talent. She shot with such precision, in fact, that she spent her entire lifetime inspiring other women and men in a sport once considered to be one of the manly arts. For 20 years, she traveled the globe in Wild West shows, performing feats of accuracy with firearms that many thought were too impossible to be true. She inspired gunfighters and lawmen, befriended fabled Lakota Chief Sitting Bull, and inspired at least one outlaw by the name of Pearl Hart. Many say Annie was born with a rifle in her hand, but Annie Oakley wasn't even her given name, and she came from humble beginnings. She was born Phoebe Ann Mosey on August 13, 1860 in a rural western region of Ohio. Her parents worked a rented farm in Patterson Township of Drake County. Her father barely survived the blizzard of 1865, and he died of pneumonia in 1866. With six mouths to feed, her mother instilled a strong work ethic in Phoebe. My mother was perfectly horrified when I began shooting. Tried to keep me in school, but I would run away and go quail shooting in the woods or trim my dresses with wreaths of wildflowers. God intended women to be outside as well as men, and they do not know what they're missing when they stay cooped up in the house. At the age of eight, she made her first legendary shot. Supporting her family the only way she could, she leveled her father's Kentucky rifle at a distant squirrel and shot it for food. 
Incredibly, she shot it in the head, ensuring the meat would be unspoiled. But Annie's reputation as a crack shot would remain a secret for a few more years. At the age of nine, she was to leave home. Because of their family poverty, Annie was sent to the county infirmary, along with her sister Elizabeth. Here, the Eddington family teaches Phoebe how to sew. Soon, she is bound out to work for a family she would only ever refer to as the Wolves. The Wolves were supposed to provide Annie with wages of 50 cents a week, along with an education in exchange for her services providing childcare and labor. Conditions at the Wolves' den were far from ideal. She was locked in closets and even thrown out of the house for falling asleep while sewing. In her memoirs, Annie would later write, Suddenly the she-wolf struck me across the ears, threw me out into the deep snow, and locked the door. I had no shoes on. I'm slowly freezing to death. So I got down on my knees, looked toward God's clear sky, and tried to pray. But my lips were frozen stiff, and there was no sound. After two years of enduring abuse and false promises, she runs away, returning to a mother that could not support her. So once again, she returned to the county poor farm until she is 15. Now, when she returns to her mother's farm, she is the family breadwinner. She makes use of her hunting and trapping skills, selling game to locals, restaurants, shopkeepers, and hotels. Soon, the enterprising young Annie has earned enough money to pay off her mother's mortgage. She's also earned quite a reputation for her deadly aim. Ma, I left an envelope for you on the kitchen table. It's enough to pay off the mortgage on the farm. I, I put a little extra in there just for you. Maybe you can go buy something nice for yourself while you're in town. Later that same year, a traveling Irish showman and dog trainer by the name of Frank Butler made a boastful wager with a Cincinnati hotel owner named Jack Frost. Butler said he could outshoot any local in a match of 25 shots each. The hotel owner immediately thought of young Annie Mosey, who he had been buying fresh game from. So the hotel operator eagerly wagered a $100 prize purse. The competition was set for Thanksgiving Day. Ladies and gentlemen, because today is Thanksgiving, and because you've all come out here to see me trounce your best local sharpshooter, I give each of you my sincerest thanks in advance. Not so fast, mister. You ain't even fired a shot yet. You ever heard the saying, don't count your chickens before the hatch? I'm sorry, young lady. Have we been introduced? We're about to have a shooting competition here. You must stand over there with all the spectators. Mister, I'm about to introduce myself with the crack of this rifle. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to get shooting. Lovely child. There must be some mistake. You can't possibly be my competition. You planning to shoot that rifle or just keep shooting off your mouth? Come on, Butler. Shoot. You're not going to let a little girl beat you, are you? Certainly not. Mr. Butler, you only got one shot left. I figure you owe me an apology. An apology? What for? It's time you apologize for thinking a girl can't do anything a man can do. Oh, you better believe I'm sorry. You just cost me a hundred dollars. Say, how would you like to come see my show in Cincinnati? 
Frank Butler and Annie Oakley had met their matches, and Annie did go to see Frank perform in Cincinnati. During his act, Frank, who was a dog trainer, would place an apple on top of his poodle's head. Frank would shoot the apple, a la William Tell, from atop the head of his dog, and the dog would fetch the apple, returning it to Frank. But when Annie Mosey attended the show, Frank's dog proved to be just as smitten with her as Frank was, and the dog took the apple to Annie instead. It wasn't long before Annie and Frank were courting. Though the couple did get married, confusion exists about the dates. One theory about the reason for the discrepancy was that Frank may have still been married to someone else when the two sharpshooters first set their sights on each other. Frank Butler's regular shooting partner took ill in May of 1882, and Annie filled in for him, wowing the crowds with her uncanny shooting prowess. And it was here that she first adapted the stage name Annie Oakley, her last name taken from the name of the neighborhood in Cincinnati where she and Frank Butler had settled down. On stage, she became Annie Oakley, but off stage, she was Mrs. Frank Butler. Annie, Frank, and their dog, George, toured the country for the next few years, giving shooting demonstrations while faithful George took center stage with that apple on his head. Ladies and gentlemen, I know a few of you have heard the story of William Tell. My dog here, George, loves that story. He's asked me to reenact it for you. But instead of me doing all the shooting, I'm going to let Miss Annie Oakley shoot an apple off of old George's head. Now, folks... I love dogs, I love apples, and I love Miss Annie, so if she misses, I'm going to be mighty disappointed and missing something one way or another. Are you saying you'd choose that dog or this apple over little old me? Why, Frank Butler, I must say I feel insulted. <laughs> there. I reckon now you won't have to choose. Hey, George. Bring me a piece of that apple, will ya? Ever the lady, Annie Oakley was a diminutive woman, standing just five feet tall. Though she participated and dominated in shooting competitions, offstage, she was the quintessential Victorian-aged woman at home. Carefully cultivating her public image, Annie was one of the first celebrities to understand how to brand and market herself without being seen as threatening to men dressing conservatively in her handmade Western-style attire and engaging in embroidery and other more modest and socially acceptable activities. She may have bested men in the once manly art of gunplay, but she was feminine at heart and never acted unladylike in any way. She even came out against the suffrage movement when she could have been the poster child for it. But by her clever design, she found it more advantageous to appear neutral on the topic, keeping friends on both sides of the issue. One day, Annie and Frank were performing in St. Paul, Minnesota, when one of Annie's adoring fans made an unusual request. He sent $65 backstage, along with the request to be photographed together with Annie. The request was unusual, and Annie thought it was overly generous. She obliged the man, however, 
but refused to take the cash. That man was none other than Lakota Chief Sitting Bull, who had annihilated General Armstrong Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn. He had been so impressed with Annie's shooting abilities, he felt she had supernatural powers. Oakley and Sitting Bull became fast friends, and the chief even adopted the sharpshooter as his daughter. He also gave her the nickname Watanya Cecilla, which means Little Sure Shot, a name she would continue to use from that point forward. You are small but mighty, full of courage and wisdom beyond your years. Little Sure Shot, you are blessed with magic. I would like to adopt you into my family. I will keep you in my heart, like this photograph of us, together, forever. Ah, shucks, Chief. You sure do know how to make a girl blush. But Annie was a shrewd businesswoman and self-promoter. She contacted a trade publication and ran an advertisement to promote her meeting with this legendary Native American figure. Yeah, just get that to print as quick as you can, and please make sure they get my name right. It's Annie Oakley. Got that? Sitting Bull was still a political prisoner at the time and stationed at Fort Yates. He had been in town for other business when the two met, and they remained friends. Though Sitting Bull would eventually join the Wild West Show troop, show business just wasn't in his blood. He left the show after just four years of performing. In 1884, Frank and Phoebe Butler, oh, I mean Annie Oakley, joined the Sells Brothers Circus and performed as champion rifle shots. But the couple only stayed with the circus for one season. After striking out on their own for a short period, the couple eventually asked Buffalo Bill Cody for a job in his Wild West show. But Cody refused to hire the couple because he already had a sharpshooter named Captain Bogardus. But after losing his guns in a steamship accident, Bogardus quit the show. Cody reluctantly called the butlers to audition. But when Buffalo Bill's business manager saw them practicing their act, he hired them on the spot. The year was 1885, and soon Annie Oakley would rise to stardom. Up and until that point in their careers, it was Frank Butler, not Annie Oakley, that received top billing. Frank was the headline act, and Annie was second fiddle. Buffalo Bill wasn't about to list a lady sharpshooter as his top act, but once he saw how the crowds reacted, he leveraged her unusual gifts to his and her advantage. Annie Oakley became the headline act, while Frank Butler became her manager. Oakley shot at glass balls filled with feathers and dyes that were thrown into the air. She shot a rifle backwards over her shoulder while looking into a mirror. She shot cards through the center and split them clean in half from the side. And every now and then she'd miss a shot, stomp her feet, and act disappointed. But this was all simply part of the show. Oakley knew instinctively that she wouldn't be credible if all she showed was perfection. She was a natural showgirl, and she captivated audiences with her playful stage presence. She would pretend to trip on the way to the stage and do a little kick as she left. But Oakley was also fiercely competitive and protective of her reputation. 
perhaps because she had been proving herself against men her whole life, or because she was competing to put food on the table. Though Buffalo Bill finally moved Oakley up from the bottom of his lineup, he inadvertently created a tense rivalry between Oakley and Lillian Smith. When Cody signed the teenage newcomer to his Wild West show, Smith was just 14, while Oakley was 26. Threatened by the competition and trying to win the favor of the press once again, Oakley lopped off six years from her age, so they both performed as teenagers. Although Oakley could barely contain her contempt for the teenage sharpshooter, she was always reserved when speaking about Lillian Smith publicly. Smith, however, still a child, showed less restraint when she spoke to the press. Oakley? That old thing? She's done, I tell you. Washed up. I'm ten times the shooter she'll ever be, and I ain't even half her age. On May 11, 1877, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show performed to a sellout crowd of 20,000 people in England. The incredible success of the American Western experience surprised everyone in attendance. And on this particular day, one of the attendees was Queen Victoria herself. She watched the performances and reenactments of great battles and was treated to introductions by many of the cast and crew after the show. Oakley performed flawlessly, while Lillian Smith performed poorly. Oakley was mentioned in the press, but the lion's share of coverage went to Smith, who spoke to the Queen as if they were equals while demonstrating how her rifle worked. Pleasure to meet you, my queen. And likewise, Mrs. Oakley. Your performance today was outstanding. Miss Victoria, good to meet you. I reckon nobody ever taught you how to shoot a rifle, so I plan to fix that for you. <laughs> my, well, this is unusual. Look here, see that? That's the trigger. That's what you squeeze to make the gunfire. Don't worry, it ain't loaded. I see. Very well then. Carry on. This here's the hammer. You just pull it back with your thumb like this. Oh, yes. Yes, I see. It's um, quite easy, isn't it? Now just pull it to your shoulder and fire away. See? It's easy. Lillian captured the headlines while Annie grew more frustrated by her younger rival. But Lillian's shooting was terrible. Frank, I can't stand to be near that wretched little saddle tramp another minute. As soon as we get home, I'm going to quit this show. She flirts with every man that throws her a glance, and she shoots like she don't even care anymore. I can't stand it, Frank. Either she goes, or I do. Well, Annie, as your manager, I can't abide you just up and quit like that. But, as your husband, I reckon I'll never hear the end of it if you don't. I'm sure we can make a decent living on our own. Thank you for understanding, Frank. I'm sure we'll be okay, too. Annie quit the Wild West show as soon as they got back on American soil, and she and Frank started working on their own. The two had mild success as a standalone act and toured the country performing. Eventually, Annie would star in a play titled Deadwood Dick, but the play and the theater company did not fare well. But if Annie was a crack shot, she was just as shrewd as a businesswoman, and she remained in touch with Buffalo Bill. About the time that Annie and Frank made their triumphant return to Buffalo Bill's Wild West show 
in 1889, Lillian Smith quietly departed. Annie was about to become an international star, and some believe she could have single-handedly prevented both World War I and World War II. While touring overseas, she stayed in Paris for six months. Then the troupe traveled through parts of France, Spain, Italy, Austria, Hungary, and ended up in Germany. While performing in Berlin, she had won the admiration of Friedrich Wilhelm II, or Kaiser Wilhelm, the last German emperor and king of Prussia. Kaiser Wilhelm was a frequent audience member during the Wild West Show's European tour. A staple of Annie's sharpshooting act was to shoot the ashes off a lit cigar dangling from the mouth of a volunteer. And since no one in their right mind would volunteer for this particular act, Annie's husband, Frank, usually performed with Annie. Then, one night, near the end of their tour, Annie called for volunteers, and something unusual happened. Ladies and gentlemen, by now you've all seen me shoot, and you know I usually hit what I'm aiming for, so for my next act, I'm now going to shoot the ashes off a lit cigar. Now I'm going to take the shot at 50 paces, and the cigar is going to be right over there by that chair. Thing is, I need somebody to sit in it, because that cigar is going to be between the lips of some lucky audience member. Can I get any volunteers? Achtung, I shall volunteer. I will demonstrate how brave and strong the German people are. Shocked by this unexpected display by one of the most powerful men in Europe, Oakley had little choice but to continue with her act. Nervously, she tried to pretend things were fine. Oh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Kaiser himself has volunteered. Psst, don't worry, honey. You'll do fine. You always do. The Kaiser entered the stage area and proudly sat in the chair now illuminated by a spotlight. <sighs> Miss Oakley, if you don't mind, I shall help myself to one of your fine cigars. Of course, Your Majesty. But of course. <sighs> Annie trained her Colt 45 pistol on the ashes and fired the shot. The ashes fell and the crowd went crazy. Had she missed and killed Kaiser Wilhelm, many believe that she could have prevented World War I from starting. The brash young Kaiser was key to starting the war, and because World War II was a direct result of the First World War, Annie might have single-handedly prevented both of these tragic events. But little Annie Oakley could not have known the power she held to change history that night in Berlin. Only years later would she come to regret being such a perfect shot. When Annie and her husband Frank returned to the United States, she received top billing in Buffalo Bill's show, and she commanded a hefty salary, too. She made more money than any other employee in the show. Though she and Frank grew weary of their life on the road, they did one more overseas performance for the Queen of England in 1892. Women found her irresistible. Her intense skill, shrewd business acumen, natural charm, and dignified character made her an iconic figure in American media. 
As her fame grew, however, Annie and Frank longed for a permanent home. The couple bought a house in Nutley, New Jersey, and stayed there whenever they could. Then, in 1894, another New Jersey resident had a brilliant idea. His name was Thomas Edison, and he wanted to film the Wild West show in action, including its biggest star. Mr. Cody, I want to film your troupe performing. I would especially like Mrs. Oakley to be a part of this filming. I invite you all to my studios here in New Jersey. Well, Mr. Edison, I would be happy to oblige. I'm confident Miss Oakley would make herself available. I have 15 Indians at the ready, and of course, I would be available for such an endeavor. These films will be made into Nickelodeons and will allow people from all over the continent to be able to see Mrs. Oakley perform. Many of these Nickelodeon movies still exist, and you can find them on YouTube depicting a feminine form with a large rifle, shooting at targets and coins that her husband Frank threw into the air. Buffalo Bill's Wild West show continued to tour successfully for many years with Annie as the headlining act. Things had been going very well for the little lady with deadly aim. Buffalo Bill had become a very wealthy man, and his female sharpshooter was well compensated. But, on a moonlit autumn night, as the show traveled by train from North Carolina to Danville, Virginia, tragedy struck, nearly ending the butler's careers. On October 29, 1901, when the troupe was traveling to their final performance of the season, a simple human error nearly caused the show to fold. To move all the people, animals, and supplies from one town to another, two trains were required to haul all their gear. As the first train rumbled down the tracks, a telegram arrived instructing the switchman to let the show train pass. What he missed were the details that there were two trains traveling on the line. The first train, which carried Buffalo Bill, sailed past the switchman, Frank Lynch, who then pulled the switch before the next show train arrived. Now, looking down the tracks through the moonlit sky, Lynch saw the approaching headlight of a third train, and he knew there would be no time to avoid a collision. Brakes squealed, sparks flashed, and the sound of iron and steel colliding filled the cool night air. Annie Oakley was on board the second train, and while no human lives were lost in the twisted metal, the crash was no less devastating. Frank! Frank! Frank. Honey? Can't move, Frank. I, I can't move my legs. Your hair, it's turned as white as driven snow. Here, let me help you up. The scene was nothing but heaps of twisted metal, wood, and carnage. The wooden cars carrying horses, people, and supplies exploded into pieces. Exotic animals ran free. Horses lay dying. Buffalo Bill lost two of his prized horses, and he nearly went out of business because of the tragedy 
But fortunately, nobody died in the accident. Doctors told Annie she would never walk or ride a horse again. But Annie was a self-made woman. She had risen from abject poverty to become an American icon. She wasn't about to let some doctors tell her what she could or could not do. She proved the doctors wrong and within a year was back to performing again. Her injuries were severe, however, and soon she began to think about retirement. Some folks believe the accident turned her hair white. Others say she had just grown old. But Annie would continue to perform while wearing a wig from that point forward. Eventually, she joined a different Wild West show called The Young Buffalo Show. Meanwhile, her husband Frank signed a contract with the Union Metallic Cartridge Company, which enabled the couple to continue to tour and shoot as representatives of the UMC company. For years, Annie Oakley had been the Princess of the West, and that sharpshooting, squeaky clean, and wholesome public image had been carefully crafted, even if she really wasn't from the West. But that didn't stop an unscrupulous imitator from capitalizing on the Annie Oakley name. A stripper named Maud Fontanella had been using Annie Oakley as her name. On August 11, 1903, a headline burst across the Chicago Morning Herald. Famous woman crack shot steals to secure cocaine. The newspaper, one of two Chicago papers that ran the story, was famous for its aggressive reporting. The story claimed Oakley, the sharpshooter, was facing a 45-day sentence for stealing a man's pants to support her cocaine habit. The papers went on to say that Oakley's youthful beauty had been eroded by her drug habit. It was completely inaccurate, of course, but a good headline sells papers. Oh no, Frank, did you see this? They're saying I'm addicted to cocaine and stealing people's pants. <laughs> oh now, Annie, don't get yourself upset over a pair of missing britches. I'm sure they'll turn up. This isn't funny, Frank. It's all over the newspapers. I worked hard to keep my name clean, and I'm not about to let some dirty little vixen steal that from me. Well, what do you suppose you'll do? Tell that Fontanella woman to stop saying she's Annie Oakley? Well, that's a start, but the damage is done. I'm going to sue that newspaper for slander. That is just plain irresponsible of them to print a story like that without checking the facts. You do realize that William Randolph Hearst owns those newspapers, right? He's one of the wealthiest men in America. You think we can afford a lawyer to go up against his? Frank Butler, have you forgotten who you married? I'm not about to let anyone, rich or otherwise, tarnish my good name. Maud the Fraud had slipped into obscurity, while Annie went on to sue just about every newspaper that printed or reprinted the story. She filed 55 lawsuits, of which she won or settled all but one. Little Sure Shot proved to be as steady with her aim in the courtroom as she was on the range. She won a settlement of over $27,000 from Mr. William Randolph Hearst, which was big money back in those days. But victories can be bittersweet, and Annie's court battles cost her far more money than she ever won. To her, it was all about the protection of her carefully crafted public reputation. By 1913, the couple was ready to retire and settle down in Cambridge, Maryland. Here, the couple got a new dog 
who they named Dave after their friend and comedian Dave Montgomery. Soon, Dave was their constant companion, and the dog was having apples shot from atop its head. In 1917, the couple moved to Pinehurst, North Carolina. That same year, Buffalo Bill passed away. Annie Oakley wrote a thoughtful eulogy for the man she knew and worked for for over 20 years. She also lamented the passing of a golden era. And of course, she was right. The days of the Wild West were long gone. And so too were the days of its fond remembrance. Wild West shows were now as much a part of the past as the Wild West was itself. Oakley easily adapted to life in modern times. No longer just a poster child of the past, she fully embraced her role in the present. Though she advocated women's empowerment, at least in the use of firearms, she was careful not to align too closely with anything that might bring harm to her career. Still, she campaigned for change for women in a world that wasn't ready. As the world was consumed by the First World War, Oakley sought to do her part. She offered to train women volunteers to fight in the war. She also volunteered to teach marksmanship to the troops. President Woodrow Wilson declined her offer, however, still clinging to old beliefs that women weren't as capable in battle. Undaunted, Oakley volunteered her time to serve several war-era organizations, including the Red Cross, where Dave became the Red Cross dog by sniffing out donations of cash that donors hid in handkerchiefs. All the while, Annie Oakley may have been cautious about what she said, but she was never afraid to speak her mind. Proving her mettle, and according to the New York Times, when the war was underway, Oakley wrote to Kaiser Wilhelm and requested a second chance to shoot that cigar from his mouth. The Kaiser, wisely, did not reply to her request. If I'd have known that the Kaiser was going to war, I might have been more careful with my shooting. The butlers made plans for an Annie Oakley comeback in 1922. The couple attracted crowds in major cities, and Annie even had plans to star in a motion picture. But her big comeback was not to be. Later that year, she and Frank were involved in a terrible car crash. This time, it took over a year for Annie to recover. Though she was back to performing again by 1924, it was only for a brief period before her health declined. The Butlers moved to Ohio to be closer to family and occasionally participated in local shooting matches. On November 3, 1926, Annie Oakley passed away. After nearly 50 years of marriage, her husband and partner, manager, and sometime target, died just weeks later, on November 21st. Both had died of natural causes. Aim at the high mark, and you'll hit it. No, not the first time, not the second time, and maybe not the third. But keep on aiming, keep on shooting, for only practice will make you perfect. Finally, you'll hit the bullseye of success. From her humble beginnings as Phoebe Ann Mosey to taking center stage as America's sweetheart sharpshooter, Annie Oakley was a completely self-made woman 
always dignified, never overplayed, she proved to the world that women can do anything men can do. Annie Oakley is a powerful example of wonderful contradictions. She is an inspiration, a Western folk hero who never lived further west than Ohio, and a prime example of an American icon. Many resources were utilized in researching this episode. Although every effort has been made to provide facts, some discrepancies may arise. I'd like to acknowledge the following resources. The New York Times, Buffalo Bill Wild West Show, OurState.com, Smithsonian Magazine, SmithsonianMag.com, CenterOfTheWest.org, Biography.com, History.net, TheVintageNews.com, PublicDomainReview.org. Thanks to all our listeners. Thanks to all who participated in making this episode. And a huge thank you to all of you new Patreon supporters. Our unscripted episode brought in three new supporters. I'd like to personally thank Emily Winfield for becoming a Posse member. Emily helped us meet a long-standing goal and we're thrilled to have her join the posse. Thank you, Emily. And thanks to Jeffrey Milton and Kenzie Pina. Your support and feedback means the world to us. Based on the response to our unscripted show, we may do this again in the future. And if you have a comment, feedback, or advice, please contact us directly at driftandramble at gmail.com. That's driftandramble at gmail.com. Our Patreon page is where you'll find cast lists, show notes, and exclusive content. And you'll find it at patreon.com slash driftandramble. That's patreon.com slash driftandramble. And speaking of cast lists, today's episode included the lovely and talented Rhiannon McAfee as Annie Oakley. Greg McAfee played the role of Annie's husband, Frank Butler. Sarah Golding played Queen Victoria. Danielle Reese played Lillian Smith. Austin Beach played the heckling townsfolk and Thomas Edison. Drew Prophet played Chief Sitting Bull. Mike Jansen played Kaiser Wilhelm. And Jeremy Hennessy as Buffalo Bill. You may recognize some of these other voice actors from other popular shows like Winnebago Warrior, The Legend of John Wayneby, by Audio Oblivious Productions and Rhiannon and Greg McAfee from Fate Crafters' Rex Riveter Private Eye. You know Fate Crafters Network is a group of independent audio drama creators, and among the shows are a number of outstanding talents. Sci-fi and space fans will love shows like Spines and the absolutely outstanding sci-fi anthology Theater of Tomorrow. But starting tomorrow is a brand new Fate Crafters show called A Girl in Space. A Girl in Space is written by the very talented Sarah Werner, who you may already know from her popular Right Now podcast. We can't wait to hear how Sarah brings her incredible writing skills into play in A Girl in Space. Abandoned on a dying ship in the farthest reaches of known space, a young scientist fights for survival and patience with the onboard AI. Who is she? No one knows but a lot of dangerous entities really want to find out. Listen bi-weekly 
As the story unfolds for science, guns, trust, antimatter, truth, beauty, inner turmoil, and delicious cheeses. It's all here in space. And also at girlinspacepodcast.com. Check out all the fine Fate Crafters shows at fatecrafters.net. And be sure to keep your eyes and ears peeled for news of other shows coming soon to a podcatcher near you. Coming up on the next episode of the Drift and Ramble podcast, Cheryl and I will run down a few fun facts from the pages of history. We'll talk about saloons, six guns, and even throw in a ghost story or two in this fun-filled episode on the Old West. Until we meet again, I'm Steve Blizzen. See you on the next edition of the Drift and Ramble podcast. The Drift and Ramble podcast is a Clear Voice Media production, hosted and produced by Steve Blizzen, with segment research and voice acting by Cheryl Blizzen. Additional contributions and content have been made possible by support from individuals dedicated to the art and science of storytelling and exploring the still fertile promise of the American West.